when we express gratitude to another person for their work, for their effort, they experience what researchers called authentic pride. And it's one of the most amazing emotions because not only does it make you feel really good, but it actually increases your productivity. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. No matter what you do or where you are in your life right now, I'm pretty sure you've heard the word no more than once. And some of those no's might make you feel like you don't want to get out of bed. This podcast is here to tell you, you're not alone. If all these people can walk through the valley of no's to get to their yes, why can't you? Welcome and thank you for being back with us again on 10,000 No's. I love that our audience has been steadily building. That means that all of your iTunes reviews are actually working to attract new listeners. So thank you. If you haven't left one yet, please consider doing so. It makes us more visible to people who may stumble upon us and wonder if they should take the leap and dive into the 10,000 No's library. Today, I have Natalie Kogan, the founder and CEO of Happier. She's got a great story, came to the United States, specifically Detroit, after her family left the former Soviet Union as refugees, didn't speak the language. She learned English by incessantly watching Alyssa Milano on Who's the Boss, went on to be a very successful entrepreneur. But like many of my guests, when she reached the top, she realized her business and financial success was not equating to happiness. So she got out and she started asking herself, how can I replace the phrase, I'll be happier when, with I'm happier now because, and then listing with gratitude everything that she already had in her life in the present moment. This led to a new company, Happier, a book called Happier Now, an excellent TED Talk, which has been viewed by many, and speeches around the globe about gratitude and its importance in our lives. Such a warm person. I think you're going to love her the way I did. Natalie Cody. I say my story does go back to uh, growing up in the Soviet Union and um, when it was still, you know, Soviet Union, not Russia before the breakup. And when I was 13, a little bit uh, older than 13, my parents and I escaped, you know, we're Jewish, we're persecuted, Jews were persecuted at the time. And so we'd always, my parents always had this dream to get me to America to allow me to, you know, grow up free and have all the opportunities. And when I was 13, we were allowed to leave and we had to leave everything else behind. So we literally had ourselves, I think we were allowed to bring something like two suitcases per person and a couple hundred dollars. And that was it. And we uh, spent, after leaving Russia, we spent several months in refugee settlements um, that the Americans had set up uh, first in Austria and then in Italy in this little town called Ladispoli, right outside of Rome, which is crazy. My family got to go there a couple of years ago. It was kind of surreal. Um, and during that time, you know, we uh, were there with, you know, tens of thousands of other Russian Jews and applying for permission to come to the U.S. as refugees. And, you know, I, I tell my story a lot. I do a ton of keynote speaking, public speaking. Whenever I talk about it, it's like this little, like, oh, this happened. But it was, you know, one of the um, darkest and most difficult times for a lot of reasons. You know, I was, I remember being really hungry. I remember my mom telling me, you know, 
here's breakfast, please don't come home before six o'clock because there is no more food. So there's, you know, memories like that. But probably for me, one of the hardest things was just watching my parents who are my heroes, who are still my heroes, but just be taken with so much anxiety and fear that, you know, we wouldn't get permission. And then what will we do? Um, And eventually we did. We're very lucky and grateful to get uh, refugee status. And we came to the United States. We settled in the project in a little town outside of Detroit, you know, very grateful to get welfare and food stamps to get started. And, you know, we were so excited and this was the dream, but at the same time, you know, I was overwhelmed with so much fear and self-doubt and anxiety, you know, at 13, I don't think any of us know who we are or what's going on, but, uh, you know, I hardly spoke English. I went to eighth grade at um, middle school where, you know, eighth graders are not the kindest humans in the world. And you imagine me with my, you know, food stamps and weird clothes we got from a donation pile and not really speaking English. So, you know, they had some fun at my expense and it was just a very overwhelming time. And I really didn't, you know, my parents were, you know, I didn't want to upset them. I didn't, you know, they were busy trying to get jobs to, you know, make money so we could get out of the projects. And so I kind of in that time had this uh, two kind of things that I adopted. The first is I kind of tried to Uh, figure out like, how could I not feel that way? And I didn't want to feel, nobody does all those like bad feelings, negative feelings as we call them. And so the only way that uh, I felt good was when I achieved something. Like at first it was small things, you know, when I got moved out of remedial English and into regular English, like that felt amazing. You know, when kids stopped making fun of me every time I opened my mouth, that felt amazing and on and on. And I sort of, you know, eventually we moved out of the project and I ended up graduating third in my high school class, which was, you know, a huge accomplishment given where I'd come from. And I'd kind of adopted this mentality of, oh, okay, like this is how I'm going to never like be swallowed up by these difficult feelings I didn't want to have. And this is how I'm going to get to my American dream. I'm just going to achieve a lot of things. I'm going to become so successful, take care of my family, make my parents proud, and then I'll be happy. Like then I will get, you know, to this land of euphoria where I'm going to feel good all the time. And so I adopted this mentality of I'll be happy when, and I I don't think it's unique to me. You know, I had the gift of, you know, sharing my story with, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. And we all have this tendency to think that the next accomplishment, the next big thing, you know, getting a new job, losing weight, gaining weight, that's going to be the prize of feeling happy. And, you know, for the next 20 years, I worked so hard. I kind of fell in love with this word grit and the idea of grit. I'd always been super hardworking, but I thought, okay, this was my ticket out. Like Americans are gritty. Grit is rewarded. Like I'm just going to work so hard to achieve things. And I I did. I'm, I achieved many of my I'll be happy wins. You know, I graduated at the top of my university at Wesleyan University. I got very prestigious jobs. I became a consultant at McKinsey at a very prestigious firm. At 26, I was a managing director at a venture capital firm. It's an industry with less than 6% women. You know, I started companies, wrote books. I was on TV. I'd married my college sweetheart. We had a beautiful little daughter, Mia. You know, I was living in my dream New York City. And on the outside, it was all amazing. And I was, I was very, very proud of everything I'd achieved. But inside, I actually never paused long enough to enjoy any of this life I was building because I had this underlying deep fear of like, 
what if I fail? What if I'm not good enough? What if I can't achieve enough? And, you know, I was working nonstop. I never took a break. I thought that was for wimps and I was not a wimp. I was an immigrant fighter. Um, and eventually all of this grit and hard work and nonstop work and like never giving myself a break, I hit a wall and I got to a very, very dark place and a very difficult place. And, you know, the way I describe it, it was kind of staring into the abyss because I just stopped being able to keep pushing. And I, you know, was, I was there, I was kind of going through the motions of my life, I guess. Um, you know, and it's some of my most painful memories because I remember, you know, being with my eight-year-old daughter and not really being there and her looking at me in this like very confused, scared state. I'd, you know, stopped talking to my husband. I was just sort of going through the motions. I was making awful decisions as a leader at work. And I was just all these feelings of doubt and fear and anxiety that I try to outrun through accomplishments. They just all spilled out. And, you know, I, I was a mom, so I, I had to find another way. And this is when I, you know, I didn't know what to do. Uh, but I stumbled into research on happiness and emotional well-being. And um, I didn't want to really let it get to me at first because I was just in the spiral. But eventually I did. And I honestly can say that what I learned, I'm happy to talk about that, but it didn't just kind of shift the course of my life. But these practices that I now share with people through the company, I started happier. They saved my life. They saved my career, my marriage, my ability to kind of be this thriving human being. And it was in the most unexpected way um, that I learned that my emotional well-being, our emotional well-being, our happiness is not an extra. It's not a prize we get for working hard enough. It's actually the foundation. Um, our emotional well-being is the foundation on which we can build the most fulfilling, meaningful life. And so that's my story of kind of how I ended up sitting here and starting a company called Happier um, to share these science-based practices and skills that have this huge impact on my life with millions of people so they can thrive in their life and work. And, you know, over the last five years, um, through Happier, through the Happier at Work programs we do, through the Happier mobile app, you know, my speaking, we've been able to help more than a million people and organizations. And it's a gift I'm grateful for every day to have found my path, to have found this purpose in my life and to call this work. And, you know, the last thing I'd say in my story is I, um, uh, I, I've always, my book came out earlier this year and I thought it was kind of weird, like for me to be writing a book because I'm still learning. It's not like I don't have awful days. It's not like I don't have times where I can't, um, even feel okay. And that's, I guess the greatest lesson I've learned is it's not about trying to feel perfect all the time. It's not about actually feeling positive all the time. That's not what it means to have good emotional well-being. It's to be able to find joy in everyday moments and share it with others. But it's also about learning how to get through the difficult times in our lives because we all have them. And so that's how I ended up. That's the story of how I am now sitting here and sharing this with you. Thank you for that. It's a great, great story. I definitely want to hear about the app later because I want it for my whole family. <laughs> I, I know a little bit about it and I think it sounds incredible. Um, but I, I also want to just kind of dive into some of the things you talked about and some of the things I didn't hear you say. Um, one of which was you talk about your parents being your heroes. Mm. Um, what, what can you tell us about them and how they raised you. You have a really incredible mindset. You've been through so much, particularly when you were young and you 
must have an incredible uh, ability to reframe. How did your parents bring you up? What was what was the their style of parenting with you? Yeah, what a great question. I so love that you're diving in on that. Um, I don't get asked about that often. Um, and I think it's so essential, you know, because uh, even though we came to this country truly with nothing, I did have the foundation of a really loving, supportive family. And I think that's huge. And not everyone has that. And that was a huge, huge, huge asset that I had that helped me kind of through all the battles that I've had. And, you know, I guess I describe my parents, you know, my parents, they're amazing humans. And they'll tell you that from very early age, I kind of was just this overachiever on my own. I always wanted to do the maximum. I was very independent. My, you know, the story they tell is at three years old, I decided I wanted to tie to learn to tie my shoelaces. And my dad said, okay, I'll show you. And I said, no, I'm going to figure it out by myself. And I sat on a little stool in the corner for three hours as a three-year-old and you have kids like three-year-olds don't sit for very long but I sat there until I learned how to tie my shoelaces and so I think you know my parents given that I was so driven and so kind of focused um my parents have just really always supported me and I describe them as this soft net of support that I've always felt around me and I think it's so essential and it's such a, an enormous thing to have in life is to know that your parents are all in. And, you know, they uh, wasn't always an easy child or an adult child. You know, I've gone through a lot and I've gone through a lot of ups and a lot of really downs. And I've just felt this unconditional support from them. And I think it's such an incredible thing. I'm going uh, next week back to my alma mater, Wesleyan. I'm giving a talk there to both students and parents. And they did an interview with me ahead of time and said, what do you think is one of the qualities that you try to practice as a parent based on, you know, the research you've done? And I say, it's based on research. And also what my parents taught me is that, you know, an enormous ingredient and an amazing parenting skill that I think is really hard to practice actually is unconditional acceptance of our children. Because obviously we want our kids to do better. Like I have a teenager now. I can't believe my daughter is a 14 year old teenager, but there's times where she does things I don't approve of. And, um, we all want to jump in with suggestions and it's fantastic to do, but there's that step before to really help the child feel like they're loved and supported. And I think that's what my parents gave me always. And I think the other thing that I've, that I've learned from just, you know, we learn from our parents just by being around them is, They've always just approached life as here's how it is, what's the best we can do. And both of them, but back in Russia, after they immigrated, you know, however difficult my immigration experience, it was so much harder for them. You know, they were my age with a teenager, you know, trying to figure out how to make it to a new country, how to feed us. Like I cannot even imagine that kind of stress, but they've just always adopted this like, okay, this is how it is. What do we do? And that's been a huge um, source of inspiration for me of just kind of being, you know, okay, here's how things are. Things are great or things are not great. Like what's the best I can do? And so that mentality of just like you're responsible for making your own um, the best of whatever circumstances you're given. I learned that from them. And so I think that that support, that net of support and just learning from them of like, this is how life is. What's the best I can make of it have been huge for me in terms of guiding and creating my own mindset. Can I, <clears throat> can I ask you, we spoke before the 
the interview started and you said you're a big West Wing fan. Have you ever <laughs> seen the connection between your parents? Here's how it is. What's the best we can do? And Jed Bartlett's, uh, he always says, what's next? Did you ever think uh-huh. about that? Oh, yeah. And by the way, my dad, my mom is not big on TV. Um, she's a pianist and a musician and kind of lives in the art world that way. But my dad and I love kind of all the same shows. And we used to obsess about West Wing because we also love like the American president is our favorite movie. We love like political drama like that. And um, totally. I and So my dad and I used to obsess about the show, but absolutely. And it's kind of this um, you know, and it's a big thing. Um, I've learned the words to talk about this. I didn't always have them, but it's one of the skills I teach through. So through happier, I've kind of created this five core happier skills that are part of the happier method that I teach. And the first skill is what I call acceptance. And to be honest with you, I used to think of acceptance as this very passive thing. Like, Oh, acceptance means you just sit around and you let, you know, whatever happens happens. And like, you're this passive person. But it's actually, once I understood what that actually meant, is the opposite. Acceptance to me means that we're able to witness our life as it is. So without um, putting a judgment on it of like, this is not how it should be, or I wish it were different. And it's a really hard skill to practice. But when we're able to say, okay, this is how it is, we're in the best position to make the best decision about how to go forward. You know, And I use... Um, like a a silly example that we all encounter traffic, right? Like no one likes traffic. Traffic sucks. Okay. You're in LA. I'm in Boston. Your traffic is much worse, but we have enough of it here. And how often do we, you know, start driving and it's unexpectedly bad traffic. And the first thing we feel is like, Oh, this is not how it should be. It shouldn't be traffic right now. And we create all this negative, difficult, emotional stress because we are in disagreement with how something is. And I'm not saying I'm asking anyone to like traffic. I don't. And it's important to actually acknowledge, like, I don't like traffic. But if we could just look at the situation as it is without wasting energy on, I wish it were this, I wish it were different, we can say, okay, it's super trafficy, and I get super upset about traffic. Like, what's the best thing I can do now? Well, we, we can make better decisions to kind of optimize our energy and mindset and well-being. We can say, okay, nothing I can do. Let me call a friend and use this time to talk to a friend. Or, okay, I've always wanted to listen to this podcast. Let me do that now. And so that's what I mean by acceptance. And that's the point, like, Jeff Bartlett on West Wing. I've always saw his character that way of like, okay, this is how it is. Now what's the best thing we can do? And it's what I've kind of learned from my parents and their approach to life. And it's not, by the way, that we never complain. We're Russian Jews. We're so awesome at complaining. Like, I, I have a black belt, okay? Like, we are amazing at complaining, but... You do but, not sound like a complainer at all. I don't do it now as much because I have all these tools, but I've grown up. I used to do it way more. And I'm not even saying that it's not good to ever complain. Like, it's really important to accept our own emotions as well. But the difference, and like, and that's a Jeb Bartlett character, the difference is between do we fully allow ourselves to just go down the spiral of like, this sucks, I wish it weren't like this, and then we just waste so much energy? Or do we say, this sucks, not really happy with how it is, but what's the best way? What's the best next step I can take? What's the best decision? What's the best way I can address or react to this moment? When we do that, it gives us an opportunity to actually make decisions to 
you know, protect ourselves from wasting all this energy. And so, yeah, totally. Jet used to do that. And now that I'm talking to you, by the way, I'm just going to have to rewatch all of West Wing, which I've already done twice, but this is a perfect excuse to do oh, it again. That's funny. Yeah. It's you know, like also you said shows ever made. Well, didn't you, you said you went to Wesleyan. Um, I'm I pretty did. sure Brad Whitford went to Wesleyan. Ah, uh, yes, he did. My yeah. husband also went to Wesleyan and you bet when we watch the show, we remind ourselves of that. Oh, I'm going to say like twice every episode he's in. So, um, we're very proud of that because yeah. Wesley, we don't produce a lot of actors. We produce a lot of directors and producers, but so yes, we're super uh, He proud. was so much fun to work with. He, he really oh, yeah, was that's so cool yeah, to really, hear. really so funny. I mean, it just so loose on set and would get everybody <laughs> laughing right before action. And then he would just whip right into it and, and be word perfect with all that crazy political jargon and everybody else is like tripping over their own feet. <laughs> yeah. Is everybody laughing and stitches? Yeah. Really, really oh, that uh, is hilarious. very funny guy. Um, so, well, there's so much in there. I mean, you're talking about expectations. Um, you're talking about being resourceful. Uh, you know, I want to touch on something because of the, the listeners, um, you know, just like for, for their benefit. It's something I always say is, and I, I feel like you, you just said this in, in your own words in a way, which is like, you, you don't want to negate your, it's not saying like you can't complain or you can't see the reality mm -hmm. that like, oh, I'm not where I want to be. It's, mm -hmm. it's not mm -hmm. that, like, you don't want to live mm -hmm. in denial no. um, and, and act like everything's fine when it's not. But it's just kind of the way the way that you're looking at it. First of all, are you even telling the right person? I just heard this from a coach recently. You know, he said people spend so much time complaining to the wrong people. Like mm -hmm. something's going mm -hmm. on at work, and instead of them confronting the deal or whoever it is at work, they go home and complain to their spouse about it, but the spouse can't do anything about it and vice versa. Exactly. You know, people then yeah. go to work and they complain about their spouse, but the people at work, you know, your coworkers can't help you. You have to, you have to deal with your spouse on that. So it, it's a, it's an interesting kind of irony or dichotomy. I'm not sure what you would mm. call it um, that you're touching on. And then just like how expectations can sometimes ruin everything. If you, you know, I, I don't know if you experienced that with your family where when, you know, sometimes if there's something big planned, mm -hmm. it's harder to, it, 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 a lot of times those big things end up fizzling in, in our experience. Whereas like the, the impromptu things are usually the most fun for my family. Yes. Well, here's why. So just to like jump in on that, because I'm so eager to share this with everyone and your listeners, because there's actually a biological reason that's the case. So research shows that it's the frequency of small positive experiences that contributes to greater life satisfaction than any one big or big events like huge trips or vacations or achievements. And, you know, it's kind of counterintuitive because I feel like we live in a culture, right, where, you know, we really like worship huge achievements or it's always like chasing these big things. And the re there's a reason like why I'll be happy when doesn't work. Like, I'll, oh, we're going to be so happy when we go on this vacation. And it's like, oh, like, hmm. And so there's a reason for that. And there's actually two qualities that our brain has that make it basically impossible 
to feel um, lasting happiness if we hang it on these kind of big outside things. And the first is that our, our brains are very adaptable. We get used to things, good and bad, very quickly, which is fantastic because as a human race, we've gone through a lot of changes. So we, we need the adaptability. But what that also means is anything that's remotely familiar, our brain puts on autopilot. So we get used to things really quickly. And so, you know, you go on a trip and so it's amazing, but then like you get used to the amazing and all of a sudden it's kind of like normal. Um, it's also the case with many small uh, joys that we lose throughout the day. So, you know, I have a cup of coffee every morning. And I make this like green shake that I love. And unless I pause and actually as I'm enjoying these morning beverages, like actually practice gratitude and actually like actively say like, wow, I am so grateful that I have this awesome coffee and I am really savoring it. And how cool is it that I can go to like a store and get all the healthy ingredients to make this shake for my family? Unless I actively do that because it's something I do every day, the brain will not even register the joy of that experience. So gratitude is such a perfect antidote, like actually practice appreciating tiny moments that are joyful or beautiful or kind or loving in our days, because otherwise, if they're familiar, the brain will simply not register them. So it's like you didn't have them. And the second quality of our brain, which makes it difficult to really experience lasting joy from, you know, any achievements or things or experiences is that we all have, um, some degree of a negativity bias. And that is that our brains are much more sensitive to negative stimuli than positive ones. And the hypothesis is that we've evolved that way because, you know, danger usually comes with negative stimuli, like a pack of wolves running at us, right? And so our brain to protect us is constantly scanning our environment for anything negative, you know, what's going to go wrong, what's stressful, what's bad. And so that makes it really difficult to enjoy the simple things or to um, even enjoy big things. Like, you know, the example I use is like, say you really want a new job and like you work hard and then you get that promotion and you feel amazing for a while. Cool. And then after a while, it's like, well, first of all, adaptability, you got used to it. But second of all, you are like finding all these things that are wrong with it. Like, oh, but my commute is, to, is longer to this office. My colleague is annoying. My new boss is kind of frustrating. And that's just your brain going into its inertia of negativity bias. And so that's why the, um, you know, one of the core skills that I teach and I practice and I live is gratitude. Because when we intentionally practice appreciating the good or um, beautiful or kind or enjoyable things in our lives, however small they are, we actually experience the joy and also improve our resilience when we're going through hard times. But otherwise, our brain won't do it. And that's why, like you mentioned, your family, you enjoy more the impromptu things. And I so agree with that. But it's also scientifically true because the impromptu, impromptu things are not familiar. And so the brain is not going on autopilot. And that's why, like... Um, uh, one of the things that uh, people with higher life satisfaction say is they have a greater variety of experiences because when we have a new experience, however tiny, like taking a different home, way home from work or, you know, trying a different food or cooking a new recipe, we avoid going on autopilot so we can actually experience that joy. And that's why, again, trying new things is important, but at the core of it is gratitude is actually being fully present in those moments in our lives and practicing active appreciation, like active gratitude, not just for experiencing it, but to all the people that enable it, 
And this includes people we don't know. Like something I try to do is I don't do it all, all the time, but like I'll enjoy a really good meal at a restaurant and I, I'm, I'm super annoying. Like I'll often ask to go see the chef and say, thank you. Um, and even if I can't do it, like I'll sit there and be like, I am so grateful to like the chef who made this. And actually I'm so grateful to the farmer who raises chicken. Like, um, there's so much research that shows how beneficial that is for your well being. But I just also feel like, I don't know, it just creates so many little moments in my day that feel so warm and connected. And I feel like there's all these people around me, even people I don't know who are contributing to my well being. And that's the power of gratitude, which is so easy to practice. Well, not only that, what I think happens is you end up when you show gratitude for the chef, for example, you end up having an impact on that person's life because now that person's in the kitchen and I'm sure they're, you know, sweating back there and screaming at people and getting screamed at and somebody's sending food back and and whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. They're they're having a, a, you know, a challenging night just doing their job. And then they hear that and they feel appreciated and it kind of gives them a little bit of pride and a little bit of like, oh, somebody noticed and somebody thanked me and then they do a better job. And it's kind of this vicious cycle in in a positive Mm -hmm. way that ends up, you know, putting these ripples of goodness into the world. I notice it with the podcast when people, I don't even think people realize it, but and so I'm telling you, listeners, I'm fishing for these now. Um, like, you know, I'll get emails, you know, they'll they'll email the the podcast or I'll get like direct messages on social media mm-hmm. where people say nice things. And it, it could even be a tiny little thing. But mm-hmm. if someone says something specific about, you know, an episode or the podcast in general, it just makes me feel so much better about what mm-hmm. I'm doing because I kind of mm-hmm. have been working my ass off on it and trying to provide something that that is useful to people. And it just makes it feel worth it. And it's it's not money. It's just it's literally just took someone five seconds to type something on their phone. And it, it's like nothing. Uh, and it and it has such a good effect. It's the same thing as an actor. You know, when somebody comes up and says something specific about a, mm. a, a role or a show or a project I was involved with, it it really feels good because there are so many times that nobody else sees where you know you're just slamming your head against a wall because you it's 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 difficult to do whatever it is that you do. So when you get a little bit of a, a pat on the back, you're just like, Oh, that's great. And, and it's a great message, you know, and a reminder for all of us to do that. When we go to, you know, you, you pull your car into a parking lot and the parking lot attendant, that, that person's sitting mm-hmm. out there, if they're in Southern California, they're sitting in the beating sun and, you know, handing out tickets and then validating tickets or whatever it is. It's like, wouldn't it make their day a little bit, nicer if you just, you know, say something nice. It doesn't have to, you know, you don't have to have a huge conversation, but just something that's a little bit thoughtful, you know? And the cool thing and all that is it's going to make your day and their day. Yeah. It could be selfish in a good way. Yeah. Gratitude. When you practice gratitude, you express it to someone, uh, someone else or think it, your brain releases serotonin and dopamine. Both of them make you feel really good. So, you know, that expression, you can't be grumpy if you're grateful. 
it, you literally cannot be grumpy if, as you're thinking of something you're grateful for because your brain is releasing these two chemicals that make you feel good. But And so it's this magic pill. You get an immediate boost, but then the other person feels amazing. And I love that what you brought up um, just as an actor or a podcast host, you know, um, like I think about, you know, we're creatives, right? So, you know, Happier is, yes, it's my company, but it's a complete labor of love and it's so difficult. You know, people, as you said, like people see the outside, they see me on stage in front of thousands of people. They're like, oh, wow, that's so cool. I'm like, it's so hard to do what I'm doing and to hard to build a business and all that kind of stuff. But I consider myself a creative, right? A creator. So creators, it's really hard, as you know, as you said, to put ourselves out there to do it. And I think often, um, like others don't realize that just because we've done something, it doesn't mean that we don't appreciate hearing how meaningful it is to someone or how helpful. And, and so it's such a great reminder, you know, something I try to do. And again, it's not like I do it every day, but like if I listen to a podcast that I love, I'll write to them and I don't always hear back, you know, they're busy people, but I'll find some contact and I'll just say, thank you. And I express something or, you know, I'll find the author of a book on Instagram and like just share that it was meaningful. And my, I started doing that when I realized how much it means to me to hear from the happier community, from people I speak to, or people who hear me on podcasts or whatever, people who read my book. When I hear that my work in some way has benefited someone else, like that's my fuel. That's what I call, it's my bigger why. It's the reason I do this. And so I love like the reminder for all of us to do that. And there's actually, you know, I was teaching this workshop to leaders yesterday in New York. And so we were talking about gratitude uh, at work. And uh, when we express gratitude to another person for their work, for their effort, they experience what researchers call authentic pride. And it's one of the most amazing emotions because not only does it make you feel really good, but it actually increases your productivity, increases your resilience, it increases your ability to get through challenges. And so like, I know that to be true because at some of my lowest points in running happier, and there've been so many, like so many times I wanted to give up and so many times in writing my book, I wanted to give up. And then like, I'd read an email from somebody in the community or someone would say something after one of my talks about how something I've done or shared impacted them. And I was like this renewed person. I had all this new energy. And so that's the power of authentic gratitude when we share it to people for how their efforts impact us positively in some way. And again, it's such a simple, easy thing to do. You know, like someone said to me the other day, like, what's my dream? And I said, well, my dream is if we could have like every single human being in the world practice one of these little things, kindness or gratitude or something like that, like in the same day, like I truly think we could create this you know, tidal wave of shift because it would just fuel us all with this great positive energy, productive energy. And so, yeah, it doesn't cost us a lot to do it or anything to do it and not even a ton of effort. And it is a way um, to create, I call it like this human fabric in our lives because it's also this moment of connection with another person. Um, like even a simple, like one of the simplest ways to do it is um, to just say thank you to someone and look at them and mean it. Like the person giving you coffee at the coffee shop. Like I used to be this, like, I, I I'm very efficient. I like to be super efficient because I feel like time is the only thing I have. And I used to be queen of efficiency. So like I'd go get a coffee at Starbucks or something. And 
Like I'd say thank you, but it, like I'd already be out the door. You know what I mean? Like I got my cup, like thank you, bye. And like it costs just a few, it takes just a few more seconds if you pause and you look at the person and you look in their eyes and you say thank you. And it's amazing what happens. You just see people melt into this moment of like human connection because we all need that. And, you know, the number one health problem in America is isolation. And it's leading to increased depression, increased anxiety, stress, heart attacks, and even death. And it's because we're becoming more and more isolated. So those tiny moments of human connections, they're fueling for both parties. And they're so easy to do. I love everything that you're saying. And I completely relate to the efficiency or I'm so busy running around. It's something I'm working on for myself right now. I've had too many friends that are really close to me just say like, you know, you're always on the go. You're always on the go. You know, like I'm, it's, it's good in one sense that, that I'm, I'm productive, I guess, but it's not when it's at the expense of having real moments of being really, you know, present with everybody. Because if I'm doing it at Starbucks and am I doing it with my kids? Am I doing it with my wife? All of that, you know? And I, and I actually was thinking as you're talking, I was thinking about my wife, we were, um, and, and trust me, like, you know, I mean, she can be a pain in my ass. I know, I know she'll listen to this. So I just want to give that <laughs> caveat, but I do want to say she and I were talking and I was like, you have something that like, we're trying to put our finger on it. I'm like, there's something about her. And I think you maybe just put your finger on it. What she naturally does really well, it's just inherent to her. She makes people around her feel special in just small everyday ways. I mean, like my mom will always say, God, she's so thoughtful. You know, she'll send her like, like, Meanwhile, here I am, like I'm doing, you know, this podcast, it's all about giving, you know, it's like encouraging people and all this kind of stuff. But like, you know, I, I am not doing a lot of those things. Like she's the one that's calling my mom or texting my mom or, 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 you know, not that I don't talk to my mom. I I have a very nice relationship with her, but I, I do think my wife is more like she, she just naturally gives it out in nuggets all the time. I mean, like, mm. you know, the woman that delivers our, our mail I just saw on the street and she's like, oh, how's your wife? You know, she like everybody's like, oh, how's, how's your wife? She's so great. She's so cool whenever I meet someone. And and it's like this little it it's it's this quality that um, I think it it really it can really serve you. And it doesn't you know, it doesn't cost you anything, maybe a little bit of time, but what you get back is so much more. And, and something you just said really just hit me, which is, I don't do this and I'm going to start right now. I'm pledging that I'm going to do this now. You said, if you like listen to a podcast or you read a book or, or whatever, there's a host of a podcast. I, it's so ironic. I do not ever do that. I'll read a book. I will love the book, but I've never thought to go online and look up where that person's, you know, publicist is or whatever, and just like write them a nice letter like, and not expect anything in return. Just literally go like, I love this book. it, it, It hit me because of this, 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 and this. Thank you for doing it. I know, you know, it's a pain to write a book. I know it takes a lot of work. Just know Uh that you, you know, you just helped at least one person in the world. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Boom. Done. And I've never, I think I've always 
thought like, well, they're never going to, it's never going to get to them. Or I they're know. Never- I used to think, and so I'm with you. I used to think that too, until I started, you know, to be the somewhat public person, right? People come to my talks. You can find the email. We have, you know, 250,000 people. I send an email to every week through Happier. And so until I started to get that feedback myself and realize that like these little notes from strangers. I think I write about this in my book. I don't remember if it made it into the final draft, but there was a moment where I was like all but like giving up on my book, you know, and you're a creator, you've gone through stuff like that. I just, there was a moment like I lost all confidence. I was like, what am I writing? Everything has been said. Who am I to write the book? You know, all that like negative self-talk was having me. And I like, I told my husband, I was like, Avi, I can't do this. Like, and I was crying. I was like, I'm not doing this. I put my computer away. I was like, I'm, I'm going to email my publisher in the morning. And the next morning I, you know, I, I have to do work and I turn on my email and the first email in the inbox and, you know, I have different like filters set up and stuff, but the first email at the top of the inbox was like, I don't know, it was not from someone I recognized. And I clicked on it and it was this, um, a young gentleman who wrote to me that he said, I want to, I want to tell you that tomorrow's a huge day for me. I'm starting my new job. I've moved to Denver and I'm in a new relationship and I feel for the first time in a long time I'm thriving. And I have to tell you that I feel that what you've shared with us in the happier emails, I've been reading them for two years has helped me make these changes, get out of an abusive relationship, get out of a horrible job. And I just feel like I have this new lease on life and I feel like you've helped me so much. Thank you. And I read that email and I swear, I like literally, I read that email. I didn't even take a pause. And the next thing I did was open my book draft and start working on it again, because it was in that moment, I was like, I was fueled with all this, like, yes, you matter. What you're doing helps people get back to work, like stop indulging in this negative self-talk. And that's the power of a note we can send to a podcast host. I think the other thing, and this is, you know, um, as I shared, like I I face this sometimes where people are like, oh, it's easy for you to practice all these things. Your, Your life is amazing now. Like we assume that what we see about people in the public sphere, which is usually very shiny, right? Like I show up to my talks. If you go on my Instagram, I wear these like cool, you know, rings and bright outfits and I paint and all, you know, and so we assume that people don't need encouragement, that people don't suffer from lack of confidence, that they don't have self-doubt. And that's like why one of my biggest things is just encouraging dialogue and openness among entrepreneurs and creatives to talk about our struggles, not just those in the past, but those in the today. Because I think that first of all, when we do that, we can break through that veneer of like everything is perfect and give people access to the real us, but also all of us struggle, like all of us struggle in some way. And that is part of life. And that's why when I talk about what it truly means to be happier, I say, it's not about being positive all the time. Like this whole turn negative into the positive or turn your smile upside down is a bunch of BS because research actually shows when we acknowledge our difficult emotions, we get through them faster and with less intensity. And so something that I try to practice and I encourage people and leaders and entrepreneurs and people to practice and let's, let's give ourselves permission to not always be okay, to not always have to say like, how's your day? Amazing. Everything's amazing. You know, because I think that we can find so much commonness and connection by sharing our real selves. And that is actually also empowering and supportive and helping us get through the difficult times. And so, yes, those, you know, um, 
all of the people writing books and podcasts and creating products you love, like, yeah, they, they may look shiny, but they have self-doubt. You have self-doubt. I have self-doubt. I struggle. We all do. That's part of being human. And so I think just sharing that more, like that's something, you know, I always hear um, people say, like when they hear interviews with me or I talks or I share all the happier emails I write myself. I'm really open in them. Sometimes I write about what I'm struggling with and people always say like, wow, that's surprising that you're so open in sharing that. And I say like, it's not easy and it's a practice, but every time I do it, what I find is it's not like no one runs away from me and says like, oh, you're such a loser. It's not a weakness to share or a vulnerability. It's actually a strength. And so many people react and say like, wow, thank you. Like that gives me hope with my struggles, you know, and one of my favorite expressions about vulnerability comes from Brene Brown, you know, who's an amazing uh, researcher in her TED Talk on vulnerability. But she said, I think at one of her books, she says, in another person, vulnerability, we see vulnerability as a strength. And in ourselves, we see it as a weakness. And it's just a really great reminder to also see it as a strength in ourselves. Because when we show up as our real selves, not perfect, not without struggle, we really give people a sense of connection and realness and authenticity. And so, and it also breaks down this idea that, you know, oh, I've made it now. Like I don't need encouragement or support. We all do. Absolutely. So many things you're talking about. First of all, you're going to have to give me the, how to get on your email uh, <laughs> newsletter list and I'll put it in the show notes. Cause I want to be on it. Um, I have a feeling. Easy. It would... If you go to happier.com at the bottom of every page, you'll see a sign up box and you okay. get an email from me. I write them all myself. Awesome. Um, all right. Usually well, let something me, useful. I will put that everybody. I'll put that in the show notes so you can, You're you awesome. can see Thank that. You. And then um, wh- let me ask you this. You said all of us struggle. Yes. Where do you struggle the most? What's the most challenging thing mm. about what you do, because it is a really sexy job from the outside. You're speaking, you're even just listening to you speak to me. Oh my God, she's so good. She's so articulate. She knows what she's saying. What she's saying is so powerful and helpful. But I mean, the whole premise of this podcast is look behind the facade and Mm -hmm. you'll see a reality that's a little different than the surface. So what is it for you, what are the biggest challenges of what you're doing? Oh, so many. Well, I'll, I'll just randomly name a few. Um, you know, uh, I often struggle with what is what I'm sharing with people. Is it unique? Like I'm not the first person to talk about gratitude. There's lots of fantastic researchers and people who've written about it. Like, what do I have to offer? That's truly unique. Like I have that voice of doubt often. Um, from the entrepreneur business side, you know, it's really hard to build a company from scratch and there's a lot of challenges. And, you know, I worry about being able to, you know, pay the team. I worry about being able to support my family all the time. And so there's the reality of like, yeah, it's at the end of the day, this is my business. This is my company. It has to support my life. And that's really, really hard to do. Um, There are often, um, I encounter people who feel um, in some way they want to disagree with what I'm saying or 
you know, a lot of people, it's so interesting, just connected to the business point, you know, well, they'll say like, oh, I think it's, how could you, you know, how dare you charge for this course? Like happiness should be free. And again, like that makes me doubt. And so there's people who will introduce doubt into me. You know, I struggle with how do I, um, how do I stay really authentic and real with people? But at the same time, like I give so much every time I speak and it doesn't matter if I'm speaking to a thousand people or one person, like in this interview, I give everything I have. It's the only way I know how. And then I get super exhausted afterwards. And how do I maintain my energy? So I'm also there for my family. You know, like I'll give you an example. Um, you know, you're a working parent. I'm a working parent. Last night I had this amazing, unbelievable, uh, I led um, a workshop for leaders and executives at LVMH. It was amazing in New York. It was fantastic and so rewarding and so powerful. And then my whole plan was um, to try and catch a flight to make it back home for back to school night for Mia. And like everything was working out. I had the car, like I got there. I was literally running. And then I get there and the plane is delayed by an hour. And so I missed it. Now, thankfully my husband could go, but I felt terrible, like, you know, that I didn't, you know, so I felt terrible as a mom. So I, I, there's a lot of those. I mean, I can go on and on, but those are some of the things that I consistently struggle with. And again, I practice trying to be as open as I can about sharing them and not seeing it as a weakness, but just like, this is my life and we all struggle. And these are some of the struggles that I have. Yeah. And to that end, I was going to say something that, that kind of goes back to something we talked about before, which is, uh, you know, pointing something out, having gratitude for someone's work or what they do. The one caveat I was going to say, and you kind of just touched on it, is with um, a public figure, uh, you know, like I just heard a story on another podcast, um, Adam Sandler was at some uh, some event in Malibu and you would think in Malibu, people would kind of get it. They see a lot of celebrities around here, but this person, this podcast host, which is actually, was actually my guest on today's, the one that's being released today. This guy, Brian Callen said that Sandler was there and he just got mobbed and he was with his kids. And like, you know, you want to show appreciation for someone or their, their work, or you want to tell them you, you love them. But when it's someone, especially on that level, like an Adam Sandler, level of fame and they're with their family. You also have to think about that person because that's kind of what you're touching on, which is like your work because it is so, you know, it involves you being private and public. Then when you're with your family, you also, you know, should have a little bit of your own time with your family where you don't have to feel like you have to be shared with the public when you're with your daughter, you know? So that's something for people just to think about, you know, the way in which you show gratitude, Mm -hmm. you see someone like on, on an Adam Sandler level, then, then maybe you write them a letter and maybe he sees it, maybe he doesn't, but it's like, you know, what are you going to get from just going and talking? Mm. Yeah. I I don't know. It's like have, have some humanity with that kind of thing. So here, Natalie, I wish we mm-hmm. could go on for a lot longer than we can, but I know you have uh, you have a heart out. And I'm it happy looks like to it's, come back. I'm well, just gonna I, leave I'll take that. I'll if take you like, up on I'm that. I'm happy to come back. Yeah, I'll <laughs> take you up on that. I'm too tired of listening to me all in one. No, not at all. I, so, so according to my clock, I've got nine more minutes with you, and I want to just hit this little new thing I've been doing. 
Um, I'm calling it my pop quiz. It's three. <laughs> Love it. It's three, three things that I, I cap the interview off with, and if they just want to allow for some time, if we expand. So the number one thing is complete this sentence. Mm. The word no actually means what? Not right now or not quite like this. And it's actually something that I do try in my head um, to practice um, that it just means not, not right now or not this way, not in these circumstances, not at this moment in time. And I think if we can just frame it that way, it helps take it from this finality, like gravitas and thing to it's not a period, but it's a comma. So no, not right now, but maybe later. No, maybe not this way, but a different way. And it just creates a little bit of openness and room for whatever the situation is to like allow, give the situation a little bit of air that it's not the end. It's a comma, like not this part of the sentence. That's really cool. Leave the door open for yourself. Okay. Uh, great answer. Next one. First book, film, song, or quote that comes to mind right now and why? Well, it's an unfair question because we talked about the West Wing and from the West Wing, I go to American president um, and we talked about, well, first of all, you've been on West Wing. So it's just in my mind, but um, I immediately thought of American president, but here's the frame I'll put around it. One of my best memories in my life is watching American president with my dad. We're both like political drama junkies. And uh, I've watched that movie. I can mouth every word to that movie. I watched it, I don't know, 30, 40 times, maybe more. It's embarrassing. Um, but <laughs> what it reminded me about is just how it is the little things in life that sometimes bring us the greatest joy. Like, I remember watching that movie with my dad. My parents and I have had some amazing experiences together, but I remember that moment. Just like, you know, I remember like that moment and I remember how my mom sort of makes fun of us for being obsessed with a movie like that, you know? And so like that humor for my mom, that connection with my mom and my dad, like it's the little things. And so that's the first thing that comes to mind is that sharing really simple experiences with people we love, like that's what stays with me. I think my dad and I watched that movie, I'm going to say 10 years ago, and I still just immediately thought of that moment. That is so cool. And such a reminder to me as a dad, I've thought this lately, how mm -hmm. many of these moments that sometimes like you, your kids have a very different experience of something than you do, because for you, you've maybe done it a thousand times, but for them, it's the first time. And mm. just hearing you say that, like you're watching the movie with your dad, like it meant so much to you. And it just makes you think like each one of these moments could be that moment that the kid remembers. Hopefully it's, it's like that memory of yours where it's a good one. And it's not one that's like, uh, you know, a terrifying moment or a sad moment or something, but that's, uh, that's, that's well, really it great. Is the Thank little you for moments, You know, just to yeah. jump in there, you know, my daughter, like I'm always, like surprised when it just comes out, you know, in conversation where she'll be like, Oh, one of my favorite things. And it'll be like the simplest thing. And I'm like, wow. You know, like one of her greatest childhood memories, and she'll tell you this is we were at the Cape 
Cape Cod, you know, uh, in the summer, in the summer, she goes there for the last two weeks of August. My parents rent this little house and take her. And Avi and I were, my husband and I were there and we were coming from a friend's house and it was maybe like 10 o'clock. It was latish, and she was young. She was like seven. And so way past her bedtime. And it was just as like, we were so, I just was feeling so much joy. It was a beautiful night and we we're passing this ice cream store. And I was like, and we also like don't eat a ton of sugar at home. I was like, all right, I don't know. Let's go celebrate just like being together and summer. Let's go get ice cream. And I, she was like, oh my God, at 10 PM. And I'm like, yeah. So my husband's a sweet tooth too. They were like, oh my God, 10 PM. Like the simplest thing, Matt, like getting ice cream a little bit late at night on a random night. And it's yeah. still one of her favorite memories because there's actually so much in that moment that we like broke a rule that was fun, but it was just that we did something together that was a simple, unexpected thing. And, you know, like another thing that she brought up the other day, she like, it was a few years ago when I started, it's a whole other conversation of how I um, used to pretend that everything was always amazing to Mia. And then I started to get more honest with her. And that's a whole other conversation of how beneficial that is. But um, one night I came home and I was just like exhausted and something bad had happened. Like I was just not in a great place. And, you know, usually I'm, I cook a lot. And so usually like I cook dinner and I just, and Avi was traveling. I just had no energy. And I was like, what do you feel about, we never watch TV when we eat. And I'm like, what do you feel about doing a picnic on the living room floor? Let's, we, we love the show house and she loves it. And I was like, what do you feel like just like getting random things from the fridge and having a picnic on the living room floor and watching house. And that's what it's become a tradition when she and I are tired. We do that. We do it very rarely, but that's one of her favorite things. Again, what a simple thing. Like we put a towel on the floor of the living room and we sit on it and we eat cheese and crackers and we (laughs) watch a show. Like that's the thing, but that's one of her favorite things because we're connected, we're together. And so it is those little things. That's what it is. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Third question. I, I have, I have a third one. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're going, we're down to the wire, but actually I'll be mindful of time, but quick question that yeah. that's that ice cream place you went to in the Cape. It didn't happen to be called Sunday school, did it? No, but that would be so cool. I forget okay. what it's called. It's no, my, my, somebody that we know, their family, uh, Pete Endress, shout out to Pete if he's listening, uh, or Mary, his wife, they, their family has a place called Sunday school in the Cape. That's like a real oh. staple there. Do you so know I, where I it was is? like, is what city? Uh, I don't, I want to say Chatham, but I might be wrong. Okay. Uh, well, you should I, find out and tell me. We can connect later because I'll I, find out. I have and my daughter obsessed with ice cream. That's okay. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll let you know. It's like a, it's apparently awesome. a huge place. I, there may be more than one. Okay. Last one. Here it is. If you could give your younger self advice, what age would you choose to intervene in your younger self's life, and what would the advice be? What a great question. Um, I would say that I would intervene. Um, sometime in college, maybe towards the end. And the advice I would give myself would be to not feel like I had to know the path ahead so quickly and clearly and to give myself freedom to both explore, but also on the outside, but also give myself time to get to know myself on the inside so that whatever I ended up doing came from like a true place of like what was meaningful to me, because as much as I am so proud of everything I've done, I truly am. And I've always tried to make the best of every opportunity. 
I would say that I spend so much of my professional um, career kind of doing great things because I felt I should do them. Like, oh, okay, like I'm in tech, like, okay, let's go like do big things. Whereas it took a while for me to get to know myself and to realize like what my true gifts are. And I'm a teacher. Like it's taken a while to like, it's taken me 40 years, you know, I'm 43 now to come out and be like, Oh, like what my, what I have to share with the world is I am a great teacher. I can share my experiences. I can share science. I can share stories in a way that truly impacts people. And yes, I'm going to go build a company that is around that. And that took a lot for me um, to get there, partly because I spent so much time never doing all these like great career things, but never actually pausing to think, well, am I doing this from a place of love and meaning and feeling like I have to share this or from a place of like, oh, this is the natural next thing. And so that's the advice I'd give myself is to not feel so rushed in figuring out what to do with my life, but to actually make sure and give myself time to get to know what, and we get to know by doing different things, but to get to know what is truly the place, what, what is truly something that is meaningful for me to share and how do I figure out how to do that? What a great answer. And it is 10.15 my time, 1.15 your time, or 1.15 PM. So awesome. Boom, we got it. Boom, oh man, what Literally. a great, thank you so, so much. I know you're incredibly busy. I really appreciate you sitting down with me and, and sharing all this. And I'm sure that everybody listening appreciates it as well. And, well, um, and I definitely I want to take to you up at some point. You're, you will come back if you're, if you're up for it. I am happy to, and I'm grateful to have this opportunity to share some of my stories and thoughts and learnings with you and your audience. Every time I get an opportunity to share with one person or hundreds of people, it's a gift. I don't take for granted. So thank you for allowing me to do that. Um, and if folks want more, happier.com is a place to go. Everything on there. We have tons of free videos that I do, resources, articles, my book, all this kind of stuff. But I'm happy. If you'd have me, I'm happy to come back and talk more because as I said, this is my life's mission, my life's passion. So the more I can share it with others, it's a gift for me. Well, great. Thank you. Really, thank you. I'm, I'm so grateful for it. Awesome. Thank you so much. I am so inspired by Natalie. There are so many takeaways from what she said. If you've been with me before, you know I only leave you my top three. Of course, if you have questions or comments or feedback, you can always email me at info at 10,000nos.com. But here we go. Number one, I know it's been said over and over, including in the description of the episode, but it's simplicity doesn't diminish its power. Replacing the phrase, I'll be happy when with I'm happier now because. I think that alone can change how we experience the rest of our days dramatically. So that's my number one takeaway. Number two, Natalie talked about acceptance. She described it as being able to witness our life as it is. This doesn't mean we can't strive for more or want new experiences. Obviously, Natalie had to work hard to move beyond being a new citizen who couldn't speak English, but it also implies that along the way, we can still find joy in our existence, wherever that may be along the path. And number three is actually something her dad said. He said, here's how it is. What's the best we can do? I love that quote. 
that should be a bumper sticker or on the back of a t-shirt. How many problems could we solve if everyone walked around saying that? Here's how it is. What's the best we can do? I love it. Okay. Thank you, Natalie Kogan. I'm honored to have had you. For everyone else, if you're liking 10,000 No's, again, please leave us an iTunes review. It really helps us spread these encouraging messages. If you like my conversation with Natalie today, you might want to go back into the archives and listen to my conversations with two women who have overcome cancer with incredible life views, Alyssa Goodman and Paige Davis. Tune in next week. I've got Songwriter Hall of Fame inductee, Chip Taylor. Awesome conversation about the role of instinct in creation. I'm guessing you know at least two songs that he's written, Wild Thing and Angel of the Morning. Just call me Angel in the morning, Angel. Sorry about that. I had to do it. That will be available next Friday. And if you're subscribed to us on iTunes or Spotify, you'll get it automatically. Until then, have a great week and we'll see you soon.